This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was Disciple Maker, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Discipleship, and it was about how to create a disciple-making church culture. That's where the episode for today was recorded, and we wanted to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Stay the Course, which is about seven essential practices for disciple-making churches. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash rdn. That's discipleship.org slash rdn. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. This session was recorded in a large room, so thanks for bearing with us as some of the audio was affected by that setup. My name is Luke Yetter. I'm one of the pastors at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. I'm also the director of our network, the Relational Discipleship Network. Hopefully everybody has a handout. Raise your hand if you do not have a handout. Wow. Oh, one right here? That's pretty good. One out of everybody. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to cover two sessions today. This particular session is Biblical Foundation for Relationship. What is real relationship? And we're going to do a particular format. I want to explain the format so you kind of know what to expect. We have three parts to each one of our sessions. So Jim is going to get up and really share what, the what, what we're talking about when we say real relationship. He's going to go about 20 minutes. We've invited two other senior pastors who are in our network who have two different perspectives from this viewpoint. One was a church planter, so they had to walk out. What does real relationship look like walked out as a church planter? So he's going to share about 10 minutes on that. Then we have another person we've invited that's in our network who's a senior pastor who had to transition a 100-year-old church to walk out uh, relational discipleship, to walk out real relationships. We've invited them to, him to speak for about 10 minutes as well. Then we've saved the last 15 or 20 minutes to, to, uh, to Q&A, to question and answer time. So on your tables, you're going to see a card, a little 3 by 5 card is as you're listening to each person from Jim to Brandon to Bob, any questions you might have, jot them down if it pertains to this session. We're going to do five sessions from today and tomorrow. So if it pertains to real relationship and you have a question, jot it down. We're going to do it. We call it a rapid fire Q&A. So what that means is that we're going to have each one of these gentlemen up here for the last 20 minutes of each session. And we're going to grab these cards from you and we're going to collect them. And they have one minute to answer your questions. And we're going to rotate through as many questions as we can for that last 15 or 20 minutes. So far, so good? All right. Before I introduce Jim, I want to share something. One of the reasons uh, I'm so passionate about uh, relational discipleship is my wife and I visited two other churches when our marriage was struggling. I'm going to share a little bit of my story on the next session, but I just want you to know that when we went to real life, my wife and I came to know the Lord at real life because of relational discipleship. Because Jim and, and the staff there had really figured out how to pursue relationship, how to have real relationship. And so my wife and I came to know the Lord there at real life. And it's been an honor to get to be on staff. So I've been on staff there 11 years as one of the executive pastors. 
And so for me, it's an honor to get to, uh, to be a part of this session. And I want to thank you guys for coming here and picking this session. Of all the sessions you could have picked, there's amazing sessions here. So I want to say thank you for, for picking this one. Thanks for your time. On that note, Mr. Jim Putman, come on up. Jim's the senior pastor of Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho. He planted that church about 18 years ago. From there, he's planted eight other churches, two other campuses, and he's an avid uh, hunter, uh, avid uh, hiker with a rifle, is what I like to call it. <laughs> Jim and I compete on everything, and so I, I know he's going to have the mic last, so I want to lip off to him, but I know I'll end up probably not ending up on the... I'll end up on the short of the stick on that. So I'm just going to say, look, Jim, Jim, I love you. Uh, and Jim gave me a place to play on staff, so i got to be nice. So thank you, man. You're welcome, Luke, I think. Uh, good morning. Oh, come on. Oh, wait. I, I'm in Idaho, uh, you know, big time difference, so I have no idea what time it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's really good to have you here. Let me just share with you a little bit about these sessions. They are all connected. Uh, we train around the United States uh, and around the world five components of a disciple-making church. So we're going to, um, is this one better? Switch, yeah. We're going to, uh, is that better? We're going to uh, build on each session. And uh, a lot of what we are gonna talk about is in some of the books. But, um, and, and a little bit in this first session is, is redundant uh, because of what I've just uh, shared just a few minutes ago, but I want to I dive into that a little bit more. Um, it is really good to have a couple of our teammates here. Uh, our Relational Discipleship Network takes people through what's called a DS1 training, a discipleship training, and then uh, those who really are committed and want to live it out, we get into a network where there's what's called mentor coaches, so churches that have made the shift, their senior pastors and staff help train ch other churches. So not only do we do a training, but we create uh, coaches who have actually been through the shifting their church to a disciple-making church that, that train and help. And so you have ongoing relationships. So that's what, what we're doing here. Um, my background is more sports than it was ministry. I, I was a college wrestler, college athlete, Understood coaching and then uh, got saved and, and went in. To, I said I'd never be a part of the church because in my mind, the church was a losing team and it was okay with losing. I hated losing. And um, so the reason I thought the church was a losing church is because of all, you know, all of the statistics, uh, how many churches are growing, how many people are sharing their faith. It'd be like saying on my wrestling teams, if majority of the people can't actually wrestle, don't understand the rules, and don't show up for practice, and don't win ever, then how can I say they're a winning team unless I change the definition of a winning team? You know, and that's what a church, a lot of churches are doing. They're actually saying they're a winning church because they gather a lot of spectators. But if the goal is to create wrestlers, but all I'm doing is creating intelligent spectators, then I'm still losing... Because a goal of a wrestling coach or any coach is to get the players to play and get good at playing, not just watching. And so I thought the church was a losing team and didn't want any part of that. And then my uh, father, who discipled me, said, 
you know, you've been saved for a purpose and you need to take some of your skill sets to the church. And, and honestly, at the time, I thought that was crazy because I, I was a fighter. I was a violent, I'd been an alcoholic, violent, atheist, wrestling guy. I thought, well, what am I going to teach the church to do? Hurt somebody? It seems like they already do that with their mouth. Now I'm going to help them do it with their bodies. I just didn't understand how that worked. And God did a lot of work in me. But as we start to understand discipleship, uh, I, I have to tell you a, a little bit of the journey. Years ago, uh, we came to the conclusion that you cannot divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. A lot of times we will latch on to Jesus' teaching, the lordship of Jesus, but we don't look at how he actually taught. We think we can teach any way we want. And, and no, I started to look at it, wait a second, Jesus actually gave us a model about how he discipled, how he taught. And, uh, and so I started to look at scripture from that perspective, not just looking at Jesus as the savior of the world uh, and a great preacher, but a great disciple maker. And so was there any method to his madness, so to speak? So I started to look at that. And, I, and as I planted a church, and did ministry, I didn't have all the tools that everybody said we needed to have to, to be successful. We didn't have music people and big buildings. and We didn't have anything they said we needed to do. But rather than whine about that, we just said, well, let's just do what we can do in Scripture. And it was amazing what happened. As we started to do what Jesus did, the way he did it, things started changing and happening, and it blew our mind. And we went... Jesus is smart. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so rather than talk about what we can't do, we just want to focus on Jesus. And, and, and uh, so we do. As we started doing trainings about how to actually lead groups, I started to do some interviewing of pastors about what they were getting out of the conference. And I have to be honest with you. I, I liked some of what they were getting, but some of what they were getting from our, from our DS1s, it's very experiential, only 100 at a time, it's all in small groups. I did not like what I heard. And that prompted the, the new book I wrote. Uh, it's not the newest one, but it's called The Power of Together. And it was as a result of what I heard from people. Here's what I was hearing from people. Relationship is the best way to make disciples. Now, that's true. The greatest disciple maker in, in history made disciples in relationship. In the early church, made disciples from house to house, big groups, or, or uh, in the temple courts and from house to house. So that was great too. But that's incomplete. What I was really hearing is that I use relationship to make disciples. And once, it, and then so then I went, well, then what is maturity? Maturity is in relationship, the smaller the classroom size, the better the teaching, it still came down to maturity in Christ was knowing the word. And maturity in Christ was using your skills and abilities to make disciples. And that's all true. Part, as, as you heard, our definition of discipleship is following Christ. Knowing who he is and listening to him. You can't follow him if you don't know what he says. So learning the word is a, a part of it. And being committed to his mission, that's the skill sets part. That's all good. And, and that's, that's part of the, the plan. 
but they were still missing that in relationship you become relational. It makes sense that in relationship you're going to be relationship people. You don't use relationship to just learn knowledge and just learn skill sets. As I started to look through scripture, I I came to this conclusion that, um, and and just like many before me, there's nothing new under the sun. We don't create truth. We just discover it again because we've forgotten it. And not everybody's forgotten it. There's a lot of people who, who would agree to this. So it may be nothing new to you. But maturity in Christ is all about relationship. The whole story of God from beginning to end is about relationship. Uh, Let me give you an example. In the Garden of Eden, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. Everything he created, it was good. Then he said something was not good. What was it? It was not good for man to be alone. Let me ask you a question. Was man alone? No. Who was he in relationship with? With God. There was no relationship with another human being. And God said, that's not good. Here's the point. A lot of people think relationship, spiritual maturity is I abide in Christ, relationship with Jesus. It's me and Jesus. And um, people, I'll serve them. I'll I'll choose to lay down my life and love them. But it's not a one another kind of love where you get to love me too. Because I can't trust you because you'll hurt me. I can't, I can't trust you to feed into, my, into me in real maturity. I just heard this last week. I went to another conference and a person got up and said, this is maturity in Christ, to love without expectation. And, and the whole point as I sat around the table with the pastors was, don't let anybody get close because they'll hurt you. Your job is to, be, if you're a really mature pastor, you feel up in Christ so that you can be a giver to others. But Jesus, but but God's word makes it very clear that all the law and the prophets are to love God and love one another. Not just love another, love one to another. It's relationship. See, here's my point. You and I were created for relationship with God and relationship with others. But because of sin, that was lost. When you disconnect from God, it automatically leads to disconnection from one another. When you choose to be Lord of your own life, that means everybody chooses to be Lord of their own lives. And they they become self-centered. It's all about themselves. And pretty soon, it's 50-50 relationships. If you give, I'll give. But I can't really trust you to give, so I'm not really going to give. It's all very self-centered. It's a rebellion against God that leads to a brokenness. But yet, you and I were created for love relationship with God and others. The reason it's all summed up, Jesus said to, the first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The reason he says all that is because he knows how he created us. He created us to need relationship with God and relationship with others. And I'm going fast, I know. But my point being this. We need relationships with one another. I don't know if you know this, but they did a study not that long ago called Hardwired to Connect by Dartmouth Medical School. And they actually did a study. They're finding mental illness in children skyrocketing. And they, so they did a study, and this is a secular study, and they found that human beings, they, they said that evolution created us this way. Human beings were, were designed 
by evolution to need spiritual meaning and deep relationship with others. And because there is less spiritual meaning, relationship with God, and less relationship with one another because of all kinds of things, divorce, uh, nuclear family, you name it, because of all this, children are mentally ill and they are prescribing more medication than ever before. All, he, all they did is just identify what God said from the beginning. You need relationship with God and relationship with others. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. All of scripture is summed up in relationship. Our God uses this term for himself. We have a reconciling God. What is the term reconciling all about? It's about reconciling relationship. And he's given us some ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is all relational fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love for who? God and others with Peace with who? Patience towards who? Kindness towards who? Gentleness towards who? First John 1, 5 through 7. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, as you reconnect to him, you have fellowship with one another. You can know all mysteries and speak of the tongues of angels and of men. You can, in other words, you can know all the truth and be gifted to speak in, in the tongues of angels and of men. You can even serve and offer your body to the flames and sell all your possessions to the poor. But if you have not love, you are nothing. See, you've missed the whole point. You've, you've strained out the gnat and swallowed the camel. So here's my point. Again, I said this earlier. If we're going to make disciples, we better understand what maturity in Christ is. Or we'll make the wrong thing. Or we'll, we'll have a bunch of Bible study classes where we're just learning the word, the history of, of all of this, but miss that Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands that have to do with loving God and loving others. See, there's a whole bunch of Christians who know the word, but they don't love and they don't let others love them. First Peter talks about that we're to use whatever gift we have been given to faithfully administrate God's grace in its various forms. I want you to notice God's grace is administered through others to me. See, God gives us grace in Christ for sure. But there's an ongoing grace that God gives us that he expects to give us through other people. Which means, you know, I hope you're getting it. Confessing your sins one to another. Carrying one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. There is this aspect of relationship that we miss. Is this thing dying on, on me? Something feels like it's dying. We miss this. Can you hear me now? No? I can't win here today. Here, here's what I'm saying to you. Let me just say it this way. This word love, too, in relationship. There's a reason why right after 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, where he talks about you can know all mysteries, but if you have not love, you're nothing. He then goes on and says, Let me, now I have to tell you what love is. Because here's one of the problems we face. We Christians use the word love a lot, but we don't define it correctly. And the devil loves to let us keep our words, but tweak the meanings so that they lose their power. 
Like church. He, he doesn't mind you using the word church as long as you don't define it correctly. He doesn't mind you saying you're about discipleship as long as you don't define it correctly. He loves to tweak the meanings of words. He did it in the garden. You won't surely die. Well, what do we mean by death? Love is, doesn't say love feels, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. It goes on. Love bears no record of wrongs. It forgives. Love always trusts. Trust. What does that mean? That means that I'm going to choose to let you know me. I'm not just going to love you, act the will to love you, but I'm going to let you love me too. Because God gives grace through relationship. See, I, I say all this because I was watching people decide they wanted to be about discipleship and even decide they wanted to be about relational discipleship because that's the best method to make disciples. However, I was still seeing people leading churches, but they were extremely lonely. They were lonely. They keep everybody right here. And if they're really going to talk to anybody, it means that we'll get together as pastors around the city because I can't really trust anybody in my own church. Because they couldn't understand me. Because they don't understand ministry. And, and if I was to tell them, they wouldn't understand because then they'd judge me and they wouldn't listen to me. And, and last week I even had two of the pastors at my table tell me they were taught in Bible college, do not tell your people what's going on in your life. So what we're creating is isolated leaders... And when the devil isolates us, he gets to play in our mind to either justify sin or shame us. And you think you're helping your people by always being the answer guy that doesn't have a journey or a battle. I want you to know that your credibility comes when they understand you're like them, but you allow people to know and do life with you. So therefore you carry each other's burdens and you're on a journey together. Then they go, oh, he struggles too. I'm not a freak because I, don't, I struggle. Everybody in here struggles. I'm not the only one. And they're making it, so maybe I can make it. How are they making it? Maybe I should ask a question instead of being ashamed. We're creating a church of people who now are going out and evangelizing. And when like people, somebody evangelized me, but I came to church, I was an alcoholic. I'd been sober a few days. And I walk into church and everybody's fine, fine, fine. How are you doing? Oh, fine, brother. And I'm dying. I don't have any friends and I can't choose these people because they're all fine. They wouldn't understand me. Come to find out later, they're all just as jacked up, but they put their church face on. They're, they may not be struggling with alcoholism right now, but they're struggling in their marriage or with their kids or their thought life or spending or, or eating or something. And so I'm like, why aren't they sharing this? And why is AA doing what the church was supposed to be doing? They stole it. And we don't do it anymore. People get mad at me. I love AA. They did take biblical concepts that we have abandoned in the church. So here's what I'm saying. These people, because of sin, don't have good patterns of relationship. They, they often, they aren't good husbands or wives. They don't even know what it looks like. 
The only pattern they were given was by somebody else who either claimed to be a Christian and didn't know what it meant or they weren't Christians at all. And so how, how are they ever going to learn to love like that if they don't see in relationships somebody loving like that? If there's not honesty and transparency, they don't, they don't know. One of the guys in here, I just love him, said last night that the reason discipleship is so important for the church is there was at once a time when the homes were the example of discipleship. They are so no longer. So if the church isn't showing them how to be disciple makers at home, then, then where are they ever going to be a disciple maker anywhere? So, so, so here's what I'm saying to you. When we talk about relational discipleship, we're talking about discipleship that's supposed to happen in relationship, where, where you actually get to see me struggle. You get to see how I actually read the scriptures. You get to see how I pray. You get to see what I do when I fail. You get to see me let somebody else come alongside me and tell me the truth, even though I'm the pastor, because... Organizational structure never supersedes Christianity. Again, I have pastors that say all the time, you know, I can't, I can't share with the people around me. And I, and I always point out, you know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he brought his guys in and he said, my soul is grieved to the point of death. And he said, Father, take this cup from me. Jesus is the king of kings, God of heaven, and he shared his struggles with fishermen. Who do you think you are? Is this making sense to you? There could be no bigger difference or no bigger separation between God and man. And yet Jesus did it to show us what it looks like to say, will you pray with me? I'm struggling. Why can't we do that? And I'll just say practically, I wouldn't be in ministry today had I not had brothers, regular, everyday carpenters, bankers, doctors, garbage men who I came and said, I got no answers this week. I don't know what to do with my son. My wife and I are not on the same page. If I had to be perfect, if you're going to try to make me be perfect and have all the answers and I quit, I'd be a hypocrite to talk. All I can do is tell you I'm really struggling right now. And they went, brother, we got your back. We got you. Thanks for being honest. We'll help carry the load. And you don't have to be perfect because the devil's telling you you're not worthy. You're no good. You failed. You know, I'm an alcoholic been sober a long, long time, but I can tell you I wanted to drink so bad. I don't, if one of those guys would have said to me, you know what, Jim, you can't take care of the household of the Lord, or your own household. How can you take care of the household of the Lord? And maybe you shouldn't be. And if one of those guys would have said that to me, that's, I needed this to start drinking again. That's where I was at. I was angry at God. Felt like he had let me down. Anybody in here ever feel that way? Anybody know whether your people ever feel that way? They just don't talk about it? So it's, it's a struggle. We get let down. We do life together. 
We carry each other's burdens. We confess our sins one to another. We do all those one another things that it says in Scripture. That hap- we learn that in discipleship, and that's a part of what it means to be mature. So we know God's word. We apply it in relationship, and we serve God by being committed to his mission. So this is why we start with this, folks. If we don't have the right definition of what maturity looks like, then the disciples we make are often more sons of hell than we ourselves are. Who said that? Jesus did the Pharisees. If the world, listen, the world was built for relationship, they just can't find it. If they could see it in us, the thing they know they're missing, they'd be drawn to the one who gave it to us. I don't know, was that, is that it? All right. We're going to have, uh, oh, you're going to do it? Okay. Give it up for Jim, please. One of the things that, uh, for me, that what I love about Jim is he's real. And it allows me to be underneath him in authority and to follow because he is real. What he's saying here is what we get back home. He's real, and so it allows me to go, you know what, Jim, I appreciate you being real. Makes me uh, step up my game and be real with the people I'm leading. And so it, is, it definitely starts at the top. And so I just want to challenge you that if you're leading your church or whatever ministry... Being real in relationship and walking out what God calls us to walk out is critical. You can't ask somebody to do what you're not willing to do. And so that's why we start with this session. There's five sessions. And what we did is we just looked at what did Jesus do. They're not, these, these sessions are not prescriptive. They're descriptive. We looked at what is the life of Jesus. What did he do with his disciples? And he did real relationship with them. That's why we start with this session. All right. What I want to do is uh, call up Brandon Gindin. And if Brandon, you would come up and share from a church planting perspective. Brandon Gindin was one of our executive pastors or the executive pastor at Real Life Ministries for several years. He felt called. Another church stole him. And he went down to Texas and worked with a big church, helped them walk out relational discipleship for a couple of years. Then he felt called to plant a church. And so we asked Brandon, would you mind coming here and speaking on this topic? When you plant a church, what does it look like to walk out real relationship as a church planter, getting things going? You've been planted now about a year, a year, a year. And God's doing some cool stuff. And so we thought, man, it might be really good for you guys to hear just from a starting perspective. What does that look like? So, Brandon, love to have you. Thanks, Luke. That mic is dying a little bit. It's an honor to get up and talk about this, um, this specific topic. Um, being at Real Life, uh, a little bit about me, I did not grow up in the church. Um, Jim and I have a little bit similar backgrounds, um, even though I didn't grow up in the church. Kind of coming into it with this, um, uh, for me, some confusion, frustration when I was in college. Went through a lot of different tragedies and traumas and some different things that had happened in my life. And when I came into the church... It used words I didn't understand, saying songs made no sense to me. And, and, but God was working in me and, and a passion in me to, uh, to um, help people understand God's heart for them. And so as God called me into ministry and had the opportunity to work with Jim and the team there and watch God do what God has been doing there, um, it, it solidified some things in my heart specifically around this topic of relationship. And so when God called Amber and I to Houston to go plant this church, 
it was now a bit of an adventure for me to go out and go, okay, I'm out of the safety of real life and all these things that we've learned. Can, can we really do this? Can I really live this out? And the temptation now was very real to go pursue uh, the things that the church can find itself pursuing, worrying about results rather than the process and about staying in the process of disciple making. And so when we were planting this church, one of the things that I really felt that needed to happen and through a lot of conversations with Jim and Luke and other guys is that we would um, begin to lay a foundation of what it should look like. And to be able to model it and to live it out. Because I had an interesting dynamic right away in the church. Right off the bat. I had a family from Kenya. I had a family from Zimbabwe. I had Baptists. I had non-church. I had the complete gamut there in our church uh, from the very beginning. That had all these different backgrounds. That when I use the term discipleship or disciple making, the, the, right, if I had 10 families in the room, I had 10 different perspectives on what that meant. And so from the start, I felt that it was important that we lay a foundation of what that means. What is real relationship? What does it look like? I remember one time Jim and I were at a conference a long time ago. And he and I were sitting in this breakout together, and we were kind of teasing each other. And I was probably making fun of Jim about not getting an elk, or he was teasing me about something. And we were going back and forth. And this pastor was sitting across from us, and he literally broke down in tears. And he said to me, or Jim said to him, he goes, what, what's going on? Are, are you okay? And he said, I have no one in my church to do what you guys are doing. He, he had no relationship with anybody in his immediate circle that he could go hunting with or do life with, and he was all alone. And, and, and he even said to us, if I, if I share some of the things that are going on in my life, I'll be fired for it. Now, as a person that didn't grow up in the church, that was insane to me. I read the scriptures and studied this and look at it and go, it's not this, that, that hard to understand. Why are we not living this out? And so when we began to plant the church, to me it was we have to lay this foundation and to begin to teach our people from the very beginning. When we use the term disciple and discipleship, what do we mean? What does that look like? Because if I have a family that had grown up in the Southern Baptist Church and I use that term, they immediately thought education. He's talking about Sunday school. And I need to memorize all these verses. If I talked about it from somebody, one of our African families, their definition was completely different than that definition. And in reality, neither, none of them had actually seen it lived out. In the main session, they were talking about you actually have to be discipled to be able to disciple someone, right? Yeah. Remember they said that. And so for Amber and I, it was to open our home in, that, in the first year. We, we never met, never had services. We just started meeting together in the home. And I allowed men into my life to see what my life looked like. And was honest and transparent. Absolutely, yes, you take a risk of people hurting you. Yep, that's real. But I have to trust Jesus in that process, don't we all? And we have to do it whether it hurts us or not. We get into a mindset that, you know what, everything has to be perfect and clean. and all. It's not. It wasn't for Jesus. It sure isn't going to be for you or I. 
So I had to open my life and provide a model and, and model the very thing that I was talking about. Because I can teach it, and, and we use the same definition of a disciple. I just preached a sermon series on it. I can say it and say it and say it till I'm blue in the face, and so can you. But unless you live it out, no one has tangible ways to get a hold of it. Especially in the culture we live today. So as we were planning this church, and and what is relationship, and how do we make disciples, I had to open my home and live it out. I had to be willing to invite neighbors into our home that were not saved, and spend time with them, and do life with them for a year before we ever even launched a service. And now, after really, it's been a year since we launched our first service, we're now kind of at two years, the people that I've poured my life into are just now starting to get it. It's just now starting to reproduce in another generation. And we get into this mindset that it has to happen fast and quick and give me curriculum and a program and all those things. And curriculum and programs is, are fine. But if we don't live it out and model it and provide that foundation, they don't have ways to grab a hold of it. So if you're a church planner in here, if you're considering planning a church, if you're establishing that, the first thing that you've got to do is know, I have to build the culture. I have to lead it. I have to create that culture because without it, it's not going to happen. So I have to model it. I have to bring people in and let them see it. Let them ask questions. See me struggle. Right from the get-go going, I'm not the CEO on high and you guys all you know, keeping everybody at a distance. No. It's in my home and see my struggles and do life with them be a model so my encouragement to you if you're considering in this and you're in your church i'm going to ask um, bob reed to come up dear friend of mine part of the network as well bob's had the challenge of turning the ship in these principles but we talk about this all the time in our network disciple making is not what you do it is who you are it has to be who you are It has to come from a place, whether you're establishing a foundation, whether you're laying the groundwork, or whether you're turning a a ship like Bob has had to do. If it's not who you are, and it's not who you're living it out, and it's just simply something you preach about, it will never permeate into your culture. Jesus just didn't teach from the teacher's steps. Send them all home and expect them to get it. He was the gospel. He lived the gospel. Everything about him was the story of the gospel. We're called to do the same thing. To live it out. To give those tangible steps for people. Well, as Brandon mentioned, uh, Bob Reed and the lead pastor of Riverside Church in Fort Myers, Florida. So it's a lot warmer there than it is here, for sure. Uh, One of the things that we want to make sure you understand is... You know, we talk a lot about the context of relationship and how I think probably many of us, if not most all of us, are starving for relationship. We don't want that to be an overreaction to see that that is something that is void of spending a lot of time in the scriptures. And both of those have to be uh, together. And so when I was wrestling with where the church was, not just Riverside, but I I was at a church. I was in Texas for 17 years before we, we moved to Florida. And as I was wrestling with uh, standing before God, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I was thinking about I'm going to stand before God and give an account for the stewardship of his bride 
and he's called us to make disciples. And I'm meeting with guys, and I'm discipling some guys, but I'm not seeing the reproduction of all of it really going well. And I felt like most of those guys, it was super dependent upon a lot of the training I was giving them and the teaching I was giving them, but I wasn't seeing a lot of reproduced. And when you're looking statistically at the church, it's failing. You're seeing just about, just about the same amount of marriages that are ending in divorce. You're seeing kids leaving uh, the church when they go off to college at a super high rate. And I'm sitting there going, well, how, how is it going to change? And I'm going to stand before God and I'm, I feel like I'm going to give an account of saying, if you are, I called you to make disciples, what did you do? How did you spend your time? Well, man, we did these programs and we had people coming and we got, you know, we saw people come to Christ and baptized and our church is growing. Does that, no, no, no. I called you to make disciples, not grow churches. God's job is to grow his church. And so as we were wrestling through this, uh, I, I went to a guy on our staff that was overseeing our adult uh, small groups and discipleship. And so I said, listen, Eric, this is not your fault, but I'm wrestling with this and I feel like we've got to figure this out. And he says, hey, I've got this book. And, and I'm like, oh, right, I don't want another book. I've got so many books. You know, people are always giving you books, right? Like I don't have enough books to read. And and, uh, and so I started, and it was called Real Life Discipleship. So I started reading, and it resonated. I was a college athlete as well, and I loved it. It resonated with me, and I wanted to figure this stuff out. And, uh, and so I, you know, I started walking through this with a number of guys and started trying to figure out, is, you know, how do we figure this out? Because here was my thing. I would see people go to conferences like these, hear you know, guys from big churches talk, and they would figure out, man, I'm just going to do what they did, plug and play, Right. And now I'm just going to take it back to my context, and hopefully it works and grows because I want a big church. That's what a lot of people were doing. I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to figure out the questions that they had to ask in my context, and we'll figure this stuff out. So again, started walking through this, loved it, made sense to me. So I wanted to implement it in our church. And, and so what we did was I went to our elders and said, guys, here, this, we started this in, in May. Elders just came, Bob, I think you need to slow down. No, 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 no. Listen, we are so far behind the eight ball. We need to get moving on this thing. We need to implement our new discipleship. I mean, really, how hard is it? Right? I mean, come on. I've led small groups. It's not hard, right? Pretty arrogant. And so, you know, walking through all this stuff. And so the elders going, Bob, I think you need to slow down. I think you need to slow down, thankfully wisdom one today and so i waited well there's this thing that you guys on the back of your books i think it talks about ds1 back then it was called immersion and so they didn't have any of an available one until november so i'm like oh so get together with our guys we we uh four of us uh, end up go flying out to idaho in november like that was smart and uh from florida usually it's the other way around right and so we're we're heading out i'm asking them like how how many people are at this conference because i'm used to things like this are much bigger right i mean lots and lots of people thousands of people and he said, oh, I think there's like 80 to 100. And I'm like, oh, you're going to have to talk with people and act like you care, right? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, you're going to have to interact and like, we're going to think like, like, I think some, like, we're going to hang out, right? I mean, it's like, all I, want, all I wanted was answers. All I wanted was answers. I wanted to figure this stuff out. And in those two days, God wrecked me. And here's where it started. And this is why this is important to relationships. Over those two days, and I'm flying back home, and there was a lot of stuff. Actually, Brandon was my facilitator. And God started to do something to me. Here's where God wrecked me. He said, Bob, something in you has got to die. And I'm like, what in the world does that even mean? And as I started praying and asking the Lord, what does that mean? Here's what God really <coughs> exposed in me, brought to the surface that I needed to deal with. And here it is. Your relationship with me has become so professional. 
that if I want discipleship to be the main thing in your church, it's going to have to start with you. And you need to repent. So literally, I'm flying home Saturday night, and I feel like that's what God's exposing in me. And I'm get up the next morning, and I'm preaching multiple services. And in the middle of my message, for those of you that preach, you, you get this. In the middle of my message, the Holy Spirit's going, I want you to share that. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> and I'm still talking, right? All right? I'm leading, and I'm kind of you know, dissecting the passage. And, and again, the Holy Spirit's like, I want you to share that. I'm like, uh-uh. And we're, we know we continue to go, in, and finally I give in. And, um, and in that moment of me being very transparent and vulnerable and confessing that sin before our church, something happened. And it began, really, what God, I believe, has wanted to be doing in our church for a long time. And I believe, again, it comes back to it's going to start with you. So I went to our elders shortly after we had gotten back. And I, you know, I went to our staff and I went to our elders and said, guys, listen, if you don't want to move in this direction, this isn't manipulation, this isn't a power play. And I'd only been there a year and a half. Now, understand, Baptist church, celebrated 100 years of age, already made a lot of change when I came. So that was already hard enough. Now, this was going to be significant more change. And I said, I get it if you don't want to make another change because we've already, I had literally people in my chest saying, I was here before you and I'll be here after you. Right, those kind of conversations with people, because you know people in the church love change. And so I said, "Listen, if you don't want to do this, I get it. I get it, and I will graciously and quietly resign, because I honestly believe that if I don't live relational discipleship out, I'll be in sin. Because I honestly, biblically believe that you cannot possibly make disciples outside of the context of relationship." And as I talked to our staff and I talked to our elders, thankfully they, they wanted me to stay and, and implement this. But I said, here's the thing. If we don't live this out with one another, we have nothing to export to the rest of this church. Nothing. So it starts with me and it starts with us. And so we are going to learn how to live out relationship with one another. And I'm telling you, it hasn't been perfect. I get frustrated, they get frustrated, right? we got to walk through this stuff, work through this stuff. Lots of stuff that we've done with our staff, lots of stuff that I've done with our elders, things I should have done that I wasn't doing. And all this, it's messy. It's relationship. But when Jim casts vision for what could possibly be, and it's not in isolation, man, there's freedom. There's freedom. And there's, it's fun. I love the men and women that I get to serve with. And we have a blast. I was at a conference not too long ago, and somebody was seeing us hang out as a team. And literally, in the elevator, we came back, and we were yucking it up, having fun. And they teased me as much as I teased them. And, and, he, and literally, he was right next to some of the guys on his team. He goes, man, I'd love to be on that team. And I'm like, dude, you're saying that right in front of the rest of your people? That's not wise, right? But here's the thing. We're going to do it real with one another, and we're going to live authentically with each other. And so as you think about how do we make disciples, I was trained, I was trained that if you want a friend, you go hire somebody, they're a counselor. That's what I was trained with. But what Jesus offers is so much better. And what we're teaching and implementing in our church, and we've seen unbelievable impact. I've got a daughter who's married, and has a, we have a grandchild. I've got two sons in college and a son who's a sophomore. 
And they are walking this stuff out as disciple makers now. Because God has so wrecked me to be a better disciple maker in my home and then in our church that it all comes back to living that out in relationship. And it's life-giving. So I hope you guys will continue to ask questions because this has totally changed the way I do ministry. Absolutely. And I can't figure, I can't think of a better way. And Jim and I have actually talked on the phone. There were some times when I was wrestling through, you come on up, that I was going through some stuff with, with a staff member and it was super difficult and hard and we were wrestling through it. And there was times when it got uh, very painful. And I said, man, if I wasn't so daggone convicted that this is the method that Jesus modeled and called us to, I'd go back to isolation. Because it sucks and it hurts when people that you do life with and you go to bat for and you care for and you walk with and all that stuff, it gets messy and it's hurtful. It would be so much easier, literally, for me to go back in my office, study and lead and go speak and talk and do all those things. But Jesus calls us to be in these relationships that are going to mess with you. And so guess what I need? I need a whole lot more Jesus. Right? And I think he allows us to go through that pain for us to keep realizing we can't do it all. We're going to go to this next session. On your table is a 3 by 5 card. You've heard uh, both Jim and Brandon and Bob talk about biblical foundation for relationship. What does it mean when we say real relationship? You might have some questions. So I want you to write those questions down, and Jason back there will collect them, we'll bring them up, we'll sort through them, and we'll do a Q&A, and we'll give them a one minute to answer the question. So uh, before you turn your, as you're turning your questions, what are some things that you heard that really stood out to you? What are some things that you heard that stood out to you from each one of these people or from one person? We'll get a couple uh, comments. Ah, uh, yeah, I called you to make disciples, not grow churches. Excellent. Jesus' definition of maturity. Yeah, Jesus' definition of maturity. Yes, excellent. I like that, uh, that trust that you're, uh, you know, I'm going to let you love me, you know, because, you know, so often we don't have a problem with loving somebody else. You know, we give that to them, but wait a minute, you know, yeah, you're going to love me, you know, everything like that. No, that's good. Yeah, allowing... Others to love us. That is challenging. It's easy to give love. It's sometimes hard to allow it. That's awesome. Back there, I saw him. Yes? Disciple making is not what you do, it's who you are. Oh, excellent. Yeah, disciple making is not what you do, it's who you are. Yes, awesome. Relationship is messy and can never occur in isolation. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's a good one, right? Relationship is messy, it cannot occur in isolation. That same thought, if relationship is messy, then, and, and relationship is freedom, isolation is prison, isolation is free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can re-articulate it as well as you just said, but yeah, you're kind of supporting what he's saying. Yeah, but even taking it further. Oh, that's good. Yes, sir. Because of sin, we don't have good patterns in relationships. Yeah, because of sin, we don't have good patterns in relationship. Excellent. Uh, yes, Jesus, the King of Kings, did share his struggles with his disciples. Yes? I like what Jim said about the word relationship and serving God. Yes, say that again. Say that again. The word and his relationships 
Yeah. Yeah, the, the, I didn't catch it, sorry, I missed it again. She said she liked the word relationship and serving God, is what Jim said. Yeah, yeah, the word relationship and serving God. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, one last one, go ahead. Uh, I like the one, um, now this is very hard to do, but it's uh, love without expectations. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, I think what Jim was, the point Jim was trying to make in that was, what did you want, to, you wanted to add, what would, would, that's a good comment, but add to that. Yeah, I think that's wrong. I think that our goal is to love, even if they don't love us back. But I think I have the right to teach that I can expect you to love me, just like you can expect me to love you too. And a lot of times people will say, I, I, you know, your job is to love without expectation. The way people take that to mean is, my job is to love you and don't expect anything from you. And again, that leads to a me and Jesus... And I don't need you, but I'm supposed to give to you. But, but pride says I can't let you give to me. Yeah, it's different than unconditional. And different. unconditional yeah. love is true. I'm to love you without condition. Yeah. But I think I have the right to teach that we should expect things from each other. That I should expect you to love me, and you should expect me to love you too. Yeah. 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 So you can't expect them to love you like Jesus loves you unless they want to be a disciple. Yeah, yes. They have, they have to opt in. Yes. Yeah, there's yes. a huge opt-in piece. Absolutely. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Good clarification. Yeah, good clarification. Yes. Okay, Jason, you got some questions back there? I, we wrote out two or three to start with to get it rolling. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Is it true, Jim, that Luke beats you in cribbage all the time? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I didn't ask the right question on that, did I? Okay, I got you. Got to sift through these. Okay, here's. I'll start with this one now. Whoever wants to answer this, fire away. Um, how how do you find time in your schedule? This is a common question. So we took uh, some common questions we get at conferences, and we're going to start with a couple of the top questions on this topic, and then we'll roll we'll roll to what you guys filled out here. So you got the timer there, uh, Luke. Look, Luke and Luke. That's good teamwork right there. Um, how do you find time in your schedule for relational discipleship? For real relationship. I think it's a start, again, back to the statement of disciple-making is who you are. So it starts from a priority place. Um, my schedule is built around the seven, eight guys that I personally disciple and then go from there. When it comes to my, my job, um, as far as being a pastor of the church. So I start there and make that the priority that I'm spending my time and then fit the other things in. Um, starting with discipleship first, and especially with my home, my wife, my kids, that has to be the, a priority. So it's what am I willing to cut out, what am I willing to prioritize, and put my focus on and trust that process. Yeah, yeah I would just add that I think that um, just like we say with our checkbooks or our bank accounts, that it reflects the priorities of your life, right? right? So you got to look at your calendar and say, okay, what does my calendar reflect? Yeah. And, and the, the difficulty is, is there's all kinds of demands, there's all kinds of, you know, and, and you always think, well, man, when I'm at that size of church or when I have that many staff or when I have somebody else, and we'll make excuses all day long. The reality is it's always going to be difficult and somebody's going to be vying for your time. You've got to choose to lead your schedule, run it in such a way that you're going to prioritize making disciples because your staff is watching you. 
And if, and if they don't see you living it out and you modeling it, it's giving them permission that it's really not that important. And so it starts with you, you living it, you modeling it, you prioritizing it, you doing it with them, and then you holding them accountable. One of the questions we ask our staff all the time is, who are you discipling, who are you developing? Those are two questions I'm asking all the time. Who are you discipling, who are you developing? Because if we don't, if we don't inspect what we expect, then you're going to continue to get the results that you're probably getting. Make sense? Um, here, here's one of the things that we say a lot is you have to start starts with you as the head as the head goes the body follows so you have to be a disciple and be a disciple maker and you have to model that or the rest of the people won't and the problem is uh, what people do is they say okay so I'm going to go back and make disciples but you don't understand that Jesus said no to a whole lot of people so that he could say yes to others so a good leader will make decisions Okay? If you try to be everybody's friend, you'll be nobody's friend. If you try to be everybody's pastor, you're nobody's pastor. So it starts with you, but you're responsible also to lead a structure or a system where people can be discipled. When you disciple, Jesus, by saying no to the masses, Jesus wasn't saying, I'm never going to make it possible for you to be a disciple. He's saying, I'm going to disciple these people so that then they can go make disciples of people so that we're going to, you see what I'm saying? So he's, you want to make sure everybody's discipled, but sometimes you have to say no and prioritize who you're discipling so that at, at some point in a year, that person's now ready to make it and, and it just moves faster that way. But let me say it this way. One of the things we do in our church is we have what's called a personal ministries plan. I told him I'm not going by that. Uh, We have what's called a personal ministry plan and a ministry plan. Everybody in the church works a a full-time job. Right? But we're asking them to be involved in church, be a disciple, make disciples. So what we do is we say every pastor on our staff has a 40-hour work week. That's you running the system. Developing leaders, but everybody on our staff has what's called a personal ministry plan. And so I have a life group. I have a men's group that comes from the life group. I have another group where I make disciples. I ask everybody 10, at least 10 hours a week to be making disciples. The problem is when you bring your best disciple makers out of the disciple making system and just tell them to run the system, you just lost your best models. And you're saying, do something that I'm not actually doing because I'm, it's my job. I don't actually have to make disciples. So I make disciples to this day in life groups. I call the missing for my life group. I meet with the men. I shepherd that group. And then I have a 40-hour work week. So I'm being and I'm doing I've got the gift of leadership, but that doesn't mean I don't make disciples anymore. So I tell every one of our pastors, everyone on our staff is in a life group making disciples. And their work week is like everybody else's work week. Now you do your job. You understand what I'm saying? So you you don't have time to do this. You make time. And you're asking them to make time for discipleship, but they have a different job. Why do you get out of it? So, <laughs> how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that, Jim? How do you feel about that? Okay, we got a, a variety of good questions here. It's hard to do it with one mic, but we're going to get through it. Um, okay, what's the best way to encourage an elder person or a teammate uh, to live the life of discipleship in their lives 
after they've been hurt. Well, you've all been hurt, so go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I come back. So one of the things for me that keeps me going is just back to biblical convictions. Um, and, you know, I, I think being able to, to sit down, and, and it's what I'm, I'm preaching on right now through Matthew 10. And, you know, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus call it to, that it's going to be easy. And he pretty much tells you that it's going to be hurtful, it's going to be painful, it's going to be difficult. Um, and so I think as, as you sit down and you walk through that, and you, sometimes you're crying with them, you're navigating these conversations with them. Uh, I remember one time I had to work through some stuff with, with, our, with our team, and it was super, some, some stuff that, got, that was either said or done was incredibly hurtful, and I had to talk about, we go back to, to grace. And what does grace really look like? What does forgiveness really look like? And, and being able to extend that to one another. And so, again, all these things you can teach all day long, but it's not really until you pull up a chair next to them and you walk through this stuff and you navigate. Guess what? That's more time. Let's go back to the last question on calendar, right? And if you don't create and design your life and your schedule to prioritize those things, you're just going to do a whole lot of speaking at people versus walking with people. And so I think that as you navigate through that and you want to change your culture to be a more relational culture, it's going to be you finding those times and, and prioritizing those times to walk when people are hurting, not just to people in your church, but your teammates, your elders, your staff. All right, nice, good, great. Man, you guys got a lot of great questions. Uh, let's see. Uh, how do you create off, off, authenticity Authentic relationships in small group. Um, I think it's, it continues to go back to some of these principles of that it comes from a place of conviction that you believe what you're doing, Jesus' methodology, is it's the only methodology. And so part of that authenticity is, is critical. Um, this last year, in the midst of planning the church, um, about a year ago, two, week, two weeks ago, uh, my two daughters were in a massive car accident. And my 15-year-old that was on the passenger side um, t- took the blow of an F-250 doing 47 miles an hour. She suffered a massive TBI uh, and had to relearn to walk, talk, everything again. Um, I spent 77 days with her in the hospital. When you come into a small group and life happens and life is difficult, this is what Jim was talking about. I know Bob's hurts. I know stuff that Jim's been through. If we don't have each other at the end of the day to navigate this stuff, then what in the world do we have to bring? That's the gospel. And being authentic in the group is part of that. And letting the guys I know around me know what I'm going through. I'm scared to death today. I'm whatever that's going on. I, I'm trying just not to throw up and get through life and being authentic because they know I'm hurting. They know what's going on in our family and anything short of being honest with them is, it's just not true. And so us creating that culture that's okay to navigate life as it's difficult and struggle and walk with each other is us living the gospel. It's just as Jim said, the king of kings was willing to be transparent with fishermen. Life's hard. 
It's not any harder for you or harder for me. It's just hard. And we navigate it, and that's the strength that's in the gospel. And it starts with being authentic and real with our people. That's good. So here's one for either person that's planted a church. Um, why would, maybe it's t- titled to you, Brandon, but uh, it could be either way. Uh, why would you want uh, to do a church launch when you are being the church in, in, your, in your home? And then uh, why wouldn't you not want to just keep reproducing the home groups and just stay home groups, like a home group church movement? Why not just stay that way? Um, I don't think it's an either or. I think that having a place to meet and having services and doing those things, especially from the non-Christian world, they view to go to church. Um, They look for services and they'll go to buildings and those things. But one doesn't replace the other. We're continuing to meet in groups and disciple people in the homes and coffee shops and all those things. So one is not in place of the other. Both things need to be happening and do both things well. In fact, uh, for your Sunday morning, us being able to meet and intersect people and people in the community and, and, and our church as a whole allows us to know how our people are doing and to build a relationship and to see each other and then funnel people into those environments to where they can be discipled. Um, your Sunday morning service is one of the most important parts of being able to help people connect into the community, into your discipling um, system, if that's an okay term to use. Um, so I think you need both and do both very well. Yeah, I, I would say this. Um, in, their, in Acts 2, it says that they met in the temple courts, large group setting. They met from house to house. It wasn't either or. I think you have to acknowledge that there are some people that are drawn more to a small group and large numbers scare them. But there are some people that see small groups as a place they can't hide. There's not a one-size-fits-all. And when you demand a church fits just your style, you create, you create a one-dimensional church. And so there are certain things that happen better in mass numbers. We're able to do some things together that we could not do as a small group. We, we've, we are the number one social service in Kootenai County. We, have, we feed thousands a month. Uh, we have all kinds of things. We do large group. But we also have all kinds of things that have to happen in a, in a small group happens better. And in some cases, it happens better one-on-one in a work environment. So it's all of these aspects. Part of spiritual maturity is moving from it has to be my way because I don't like anything else to I'm willing to lay down like music. It has to be my way of music. Well, then what's the key word in that? Mine. I. Right To acknowledge that there are different people with different styles of music means you're growing up and you're willing to sacrifice because somebody else might be reached with that. To say, uh, I will not be a part of a large group church, then what are you saying? You're saying that, that only you and your little group get to get saved and only people like you matter? You know, um, to say that it's got to be a big group. What are you saying? That you get to define terms? Did God say you get to know each other? I mean, it comes back to growing up spiritually and becoming other-centered rather than always about what do I like and what do I want. And, and if, if people don't like what I like, then it can't possibly be spiritual. Nothing spiritual can happen in a megachurch. We just know that. Really? 
And I just think people get real silly about all of that. I wouldn't do a church without a big group, and I wouldn't do a church without a small group. Wouldn't do it without either one of them. It's both and. It's good. It's good. This one's for Bob. You said this has changed the way you do ministry. Uh, describe your average week as a uh, disciple maker and, and who is a, a full-time minister in a local church. Yeah, so uh, so we have a number of different environments. So the um, I'm, I'm discipling uh, four guys. And so I have different times where I'm meeting with them uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, I've got time with uh, our staff. So I, I meet with our senior leadership team. Uh, we're going through a number of things, but it's always going to be done in relationship. We're going to spend a whole lot of time. The very first thing I'm asking them is, how are you guys doing personally? And when I meet with them individually, we don't get to job stuff right away. It's I want to know how you and your wife are doing. I want to know how your kids are doing. Um, I want you to be brutally honest with me. And again, it's, it also comes back to me sharing with them. Uh, and so you model what's going to be appropriate or okay. And they're only going to be willing to go as deep as you've set the bar. And so uh, that's on, you know, Monday. We've got a lot of stuff going on Monday, you know, rehashing through Sunday and all that kind of stuff. Tuesday, we've also got staff meeting. We've broken that up to do it a number of different ways. Um, so I'm teaching on vision uh, on that first Tuesday of every month. So it always comes back to making disciples. And one, you know, one time I came back within a football and used Lombardi speech and getting back to the basics. Hey, I feel like we've drifted some. We need to get back to what's, what, what is the main priority of our calendars, our schedules, our lives. I agree with Jim, just making sure that, hey, we've got people in our church that work these 40-hour weeks and, and plus, and we expect them. So let's not think that you know, our job is to make disciple makers. Everybody's job is to make disciples. And so getting back to making sure the priority is the priority. And so, you know, in the mornings are my study time. And so I study and write. So that's how I usually prioritize my mornings. So that's me and Jesus and spending a whole lot of time there. And then I prioritize the rest of my week of getting with people. I do some counseling here and there. Uh, but again, it's going to come back to really making sure that I am meeting with people, discipling people. One of the, uh, I was up hunting with Jim and Brandon uh, back a few months ago, and I was really struggling with some stuff with our elders and I was asking Jim, what are you doing with your elders? How are, how's this going? Because I feel like there's some disconnect. And he said, how much time are you spending with them? And that had drifted from me. And so I said, yep. He said, hey, talk to this guy. He's the chairman of my elders. And then I talked to his co-chair or his vice chairman. And uh, they said, man, we meet with Jim every single week. And, I, and so when I got back, I met with our chairman of our elders. said, you and I need to meet every single week. Because I've allowed that to drift. And here's what I believe is true in parenting, and I believe it's true in relationship with our staff and elders, is that people don't rebel against the lack of authority or against authority. They rebel, they rebel against the lack of relationship. And so when there is disconnection on your teams, it's usually because there's a disconnect in relationship with one another. And so I had to own that. I couldn't shift that to anybody else. Uh, I had to take full responsibility for that and own it, but I have to correct it. And so now we're correcting it. Good. Yeah. I think we've got time for maybe one more question, maybe two. Uh, what are some things relationally that you do with, with somebody on your team that's outside of work? Or it could be during work, but something you do relationally, as an example. Brandon and I go hunting together. True. Uh, he still, we still come together every year, even though he lives in Houston and he abandoned me. <laughs> um, uh, we play cards together. Uh, we, we go fishing together. We go on trips together. 
Um, and, and, and I, and I want to I wanna say this. Uh, every, how many of you guys, when you get together with your teams, you have an agenda? Raise your hand. How long have you, have you guys decided, got to the point where that agenda is pretty long and you pretty much don't get through it every single time? I want you to know what we start with, relationship. There are times we don't get through the agenda, but we're not going to be task first. We're going to be relationship first. And you know what's so funny is when we get rid of the relational stuff, oftentimes the task, all the tensions that are there, the task stuff, it's just like, yep, 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 yep. You would think it doesn't fit. And there are times that we don't get through it. But when the relationship is there and we, we spend time together, it just... Uh, Things, it's like the, it's like the oil in a, in a car that makes the machine run. And God blesses it and he gives better ideas and you, they start to understand why you make decisions and what frustrates you and they start to believe the best about you. How much time do we waste because somebody didn't believe the best about us? The devil loves to fill in the communication gaps. But when we know each other, we know each other's heart, and he's, he jumps at me or gets frustrated at me, and I know what's going on in his life, I go, no, I know what's going on in his life. Not a big deal. You know? But when I don't know why he's jumping, jumping at me, and he's jumping at me, and he hasn't told me what's going on, what do I, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just funny how relationship heals wounds. I, I would just add in, we have a principle um, that we do try not to do anything ever alone. So whether we go to a hospital, whether we even go to lunch, we do anything that's always together with our team um, and spending time together. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's all of us, all six of us together. Um, I would encourage you to do that, to look for opportunities to just do things together, even outside of um, work and, and spending time together. It's sometimes just that simple. Yeah, one of the things, so I said the first Tuesday, the third Tuesday we do staff development. Uh, so we do that pretty much every month that has a fifth uh, Tuesday for us. So it's about four a year. We do something that we go outside. So whether it's uh, we do, the, there's a thing called the escape room. Uh, so, we, so we build into our budget uh, stuff for, for staff and, and for celebrations and so forth. And so we'll do that, go on to baseball games, uh, we'll do different things to get out and have fun together and play together. Uh, sometimes the, the church uh, provides that funding. Sometimes it's out of our own pockets. Sometimes it's just out of my pocket. Uh, but again, it comes back to we really want to honor and care for our teams well. We do a lot of stuff. We really we prioritize doing a lot of things together. One of the things that I was hearing from our staff is we love being together, but we get very little time to just hang out outside of doing ministry together, and we want more of that. So I had to prioritize how we're going to make that happen as a team, um, or it wasn't going to happen. We were going to continue to keep running, 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 because I want a lot of stuff to get done. Uh, but if I, if I allow that to happen, we'll, we'll do that at the expense of relationship. So we had to really kind of ratchet it back and, and really kind of prioritize it. Yeah, one last thing we do every year, we have what's called a staff camp with all the families. So we rent a church camp, and I have about 110 staff. So there's probably, what is there, 350? And they, everybody sleeps in their cabins and their trailers, and we just play for three days, and the kids every year. One of the things I always wanted was, I always felt that the church stole my dad. 
The kids can't wait to be at that camp. They ask about it. They want to go. They start bringing their friends when they get to high school. We just, we have like, we go swimming and boating and fishing and target shooting and paintballing. And the kids get to know the other staff. And, and the kids get to know the kids of the other staff. And it's like this big family. And that one three-day period of time builds so much relational uh, equity that that it, you just can ride on that. And people assume the best about you. And they know your heart. And they know your wife. And they know your, it's just things like that. And there's a tension. You've got to get a lot done. And you've got to control that. Because the task first will mean you have a program first church. And a discipleship in name only church. So. it's good. Can we give it up for these guys? All right, if you, uh, uh, we're going to be starting our next session at 4 o'clock on being an intentional leader, coaching to win. What does that look like to now be intentional from an individual perspective, from a home group leader perspective, from a senior pastor perspective? We're going to walk through different pieces on that. You heard Bob mention this on the back of this page right here. Do you guys see these different dates? We do a two-day uh, experiential uh, training. We fly people that have walked out relational discipleship as practitioners. If they're passionate about making disciples and they have these kind of testimonies, we fly them to our trainings. They're the ones that do the training. So if you want to experience, when we say real relationship, it's two days. You walk out life together for two days. It's not a talk at you conference. It's highly engaging. And what we're hoping for is out of that, people will have a really good perspective of this is what we're talking about by real relationship and being an intentional leader. And we took these five components and we put them in those two days. If you don't sign up early, we limit it to 100. And they fill up every time. So I encourage you, if you're interested in taking a next step, that could be a next step for you. All right, look forward to hope you guys will come back. We'll see you at uh, 4 o'clock. Thank you guys very much. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to check out the free ebook, Stay the Course, at discipleship.org slash rdn. You'll find dozens of other great free discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.